This is chapter 171 of the WCBS Author Talks podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS880books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich. Coming up, a couple of books that will make you forget, at least for a little while, that you haven't been able to go anywhere for the better part of a year. 2021 is shaping up to be an excellent year for fiction, and it's really no surprise as to why. A good book is the perfect way to escape to an exotic location or experience new things or even meet new people during a time when we're still literally stuck in place. I have high hopes for travel later this year, but until then, I'm happy to read books set off in far off places like Love and Olives, the new girl abroad read from author Jenna Evans Welch. Your book arrived in my mailbox at just the right time. Like a lot of people, not being able to travel has been really disappointing. But you sweep us away to Greece in Love and Olives. First, tell us a little bit about the story. Thank you so much. So the story is about a 17-year-old girl who she has her life all together. Um, She has the perfect look, the perfect boyfriend. She's an artist. She settled with her mom, her stepdad, her half-brother. And everything is great about her life, but she has this secret and she does everything she can to keep it from everyone around her. And it's that her dad is an Atlantis hunter, meaning he's been off looking for the lost city of Atlantis since she was a little girl and she hasn't seen him since she was eight years old. Um, So it's this embarrassing thing. And it's particularly embarrassing because she was really into the lost city of Atlantis as well. And it was something she really believed in with her dad. So at the beginning of the story, she gets a postcard from her dad who she has not heard from in a long time. And he is asking her to come to Santorini, Greece, which is where he's from and where he believes the lost city of Atlantis once was. And he wants her to come and join him on a special project. I love that you said it took you on like a vacation. I was so worried about it coming out kind of later in the year than we'd originally planned because I thought this is such a summer book. And then, you know, pandemic sets in and I'm like, no, we need a vacation. This is the perfect time for this book to be coming out. So I'm glad it gave you that experience. It also made me really jealous that I can't hop on a plane right now and go there. I know, right? (laughs) So what inspired the gorgeous setting? So this is kind of funny. So this is the third book in my Love Anne series. So they've they've all been kind of these girl abroad stories. So I knew at this point that I would be spending like a mental year in whatever location I chose. And with all of the books, I've actually started with setting. People usually ask me if, you know, does plot or character come first? And for me, it's always been setting. That's really inspiring to me. I'm really um, visually inspired. So this time I decided, like, why don't I just pick a place I'm interested in, like someplace I've never been before. So I just went to, like, my local coffee shop with my laptop, and I just started Googling, like, interesting places. And I found this tiny Greek, or sorry, this tiny, yeah, this tiny Greek island and this little bookstore overlooking the ocean up up on this cliff top. And I was so inspired by it. I was like, I don't know what my story will be, but that's where I want it to be set. So I just booked a flight there, um, went with my husband, and I spent a week just doing everything that I thought a YA character would do. It was like, you know, jumping off of cliffs and watching sunsets and petting stray dogs. It was pretty magical. It was really great. (laughs) You know, the bookstore in your book is so charming and so cute and so packed full of stuff. And I love that readers, after they're done reading it, if they want to go visit it, they can. Yes. Yes. So Atlantis Books, so I've I've changed it. It's called something different in the book, but it is a real um, bookstore. Uh, it was set up by, I think that there were, I think there were like 
college or university students at the time. Um, basically some tourists who went and they were like, we don't want to leave this place. This is a really, really great island. What does this place need? And they decided it needed a bookstore for English speakers. So there's this group of people who started this bookstore, bookstore there. And I know it's been a really a big challenge for them to keep this bookstore open there, but it is so magical. So while I was there, I, you know, I went there like twice a day and they showed me the hidden bunk room and all sorts of fun little details that ended up making its way into the book. Now, the legendary city of Atlantis plays, shall we say, a large role throughout the story. How far yes. down the Atlantis rabbit hole did you go? Oh, it got really crazy. <laughs> um, this surprised me because I am not someone who has ever been interested in even like sci-fi or fantasy books or myths or like I'm like the ultimate contemporary reader. <laughs> um, like I read Harry Potter and that's it, basically. Um so once I realized that Atlantis was going to be part of this book, I was like, okay, I'll do some research. And I fell so hard for Atlantis. I read everything and I watched so many documentaries and I just like poured over every bit of information I could find. I am so, so fascinated by the lost city of Atlantis. And I'm especially interested in the people who have devoted their lives to looking for it. And I got into this really weird headspace for a while where I was like, saying things like, I think I know where the lost city is. I remember saying that to my husband and he's like, yeah, you shouldn't say that to anybody else. I'm like, but I think I do. He's like, all right, this has gone far enough. So it definitely, it definitely like got to me and I can see why people get so obsessed with it. Like there's a reason that it has captured people's minds for so long. And I loved the way that it worked so, so wonderfully with this, this father daughter relationship. It it just was a joy to research and to work into a novel. So where do you land now? Real or not real? I think it's real. I'm going with real. I, I think that I think that it probably was, you know, fleshed out and there was a lot of creative creative liberties taken. But I think that the myth came from somewhere. And I think that Santorini as the origin of it makes a lot of sense. Um, which I obviously go into a lot in in my book. But I think a lot of the myths that we have, especially the ones that pop up in a lot of different cultures, that there's some sort of seed to it. You know what I mean? There's some reason that that story showed up in a lot of places. So I think it makes sense that, that something happened in history that, that these stories started. Now, I think after all that, and you telling us how how close you came to kind of going over the edge with Atlantis, I think people might be surprised to hear... <laughs> That it wasn't actually part of the first version of this book, right? Yes. So I wrote two versions of this book, which I love that you know that already. Um, so as I told you, I went to um, Santorini not knowing what my first what my story would be, and I wrote a book about a bookstore, and it was it was a difficult book to write, um, and. I think it was fine, but something about it just, it just didn't have the spark. And I don't even know how to describe what that spark is. I just know that this first attempt did not have it. Um, and it was only after I put that first draft aside that I felt like I suddenly had, had these ideas that were coming to me. And it was interesting. I haven't had a book come to me this way before, but I basically had these three images that kept coming to mind. And it was a girl diving deep into the ocean, looking for something. She's reaching for a light and the light goes out. Um, it was a map of Atlantis and then a list of 
26 very ordinary items that a father had left behind. And it was it was just like really random. I always feel like I get a few things for free with my books and then the rest I have to work really, really hard for. And these were my three things that I got for free. And it was it was almost like there were these breadcrumbs that I was like, these three images really intrigued me. And I immediately knew they were about Atlantis. And it was interesting because when I was in Santorini, there was Atlantis everywhere. You know, there everything is named after Atlantis because they really played up on this idea of Santorini being, you know, tied to this, to this legend. Um, so as soon as I was like, okay, I think this is the way the story is going to go. I mean, it just, um, you know, just unspooled and unfurled like so quickly. And it was just so fun to write in a way that the first book hadn't been. I think those ghosts of Atlantis got to you after that trip. Uh, okay. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I haven't thought of it that way. <laughs> I love, love, love that. So, you know, it, the bigger story there is what's your advice to, to writers when they write something that doesn't feel right? So I actually just did this very long Instagram live on my on my Instagram about this because I think a lot of the time the advice is like, just keep going, just get through it. And I think there is wisdom in that. Um, but I have had several projects that at a certain point, it's like if something feels lifeless, that there's no joy in it for you. And um, if you are not having fun or, I mean, not all, not, not all writing projects are like fun, lighthearted projects, but if you are not feeling connected or feeling strong emotions towards what you're writing, it's very unlikely that the readers will not feel that either. So I think paying attention to your emotional response to the work is very important. Um, so I think that there is power in just trying something new. I, I had that experience with my first novel, Love and Gelato, as well. Um, I had a character that I spent, I don't know, like weeks on. I just could not bring her to life. And I remember just finally thinking, okay, something's just wrong here. This character feels lifeless. I've been trying for too long to make her one thing and just setting it aside, trying something brand new, and just suddenly her voice coming to me so quickly and so easily. So I feel like we sometimes get stuck in these traps of, well, I've already, you know, put this much time and effort into it. It's kind of like the sunken cost thing that we talk about in like business where you don't want to give up on something that you've already invested a lot of time in. Um, but sometimes that's just the right thing to do. So what exact locale are you going to transport readers to next? Because I know you must have an idea. I do have an idea. So it's funny, as I finished this book, you know, it was kind of this moment of, okay, is it time to try something new? Am I going to continue with the Love Ann series? What's the plan? And I'm, of course, getting, you know, emails from my readers like, Love Ann, write another Love Ann. <laughs> and they send me wonderful ideas of, of locations. And, you know, my bucket list just grows every day, places that I want to go. Um, so I actually had a, a really interesting idea for a book set in Iceland. And I've never been there, and I'm so intrigued by Iceland. And then a pandemic happened, and I realized I can't go there. I can't do the research that I would need to. Um, and I always have to go to the places that I want to write write about. I really care about um, creating a strong atmosphere in my work, and I don't think I can do that without actually going there. So I kind of feel like that decision was made for me. Like, you know, I think I'm going to try something different. And I immediately had this new idea. Um, this one we set in the United States. Um, the setting is still a big deal, and I'm not I'm not talking about it yet where it's going to be, but it's a city that has intrigued me for 
like a decade now. I've been there a couple of times. um, And this story is also contemporary YA. Setting is really interesting and it's kind of witchy. It's a multi-generational story. And the research I'm doing, I have like tarot cards and crystals and all sorts of stuff covering my covering my office right now. So I'm having a blast writing this book. Your office sounds a little bit like my office. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's such a disaster. Yeah, my husband is like, I feel so vindicated. His office is always a mess and I'm like, I can't handle it. And now he just comes to look at mine and he thinks it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I also love that you're going from Atlantis to, it sounds like a little bit of the occult. So you're kind of kind of keeping this theme going in a, in a little bit of a way. Yeah, I think so. I'm just trying to follow things that I'm interested in. I think that's really important with writing. I've been very interested this year in like full moon ceremonies and crystals and, you know, all of those things, spells. And I'm like, wouldn't that be fun to work into a book? It's just something that has kind of captured my mind recently. And everyone I've talked to about what I'm researching for this book and even concepts of this book, they get very excited and they hear about it. So I don't know, it's kind of fun. I feel like it's kind of a topic that a lot of people are kind of interested in right now. So anyway, I am having fun. And I think that's always a good sign because I feel like readers will end up having a lot of fun as well. It also sounds like the perfect escapist fiction. Right, right. So we've been talking with Jenna Evans-Welch. The new book is Love and Olives. This has been a delightful conversation. Thank you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. One destination that's featured on a lot of travel bucket lists, mine included, is the Galapagos Islands. Located off the coast of Ecuador, the island chain is one of the best places in the world to view a diverse array of plant and wildlife found nowhere else on Earth. It's actually the spot that inspired Darwin's theory of evolution, in case you didn't know. It also happens to be the setting for Shipped, the new debut novel from Angie Hockman, and I couldn't have been happier to geek out with her over the book's location and its message. I don't think I've ever been more jealous of a literary character than I was about Henley and reading about her cruise to the Galapagos during a time when we haven't really been able to go anywhere. Why don't you set the story up for us? Shipped uh, is a romantic comedy, and it's about a workaholic marketing manager for an adventure cruise line. And she is up for the promotion of her dreams, but so is her workplace rival, the remotely working social media manager. And although they've never met in person, their email battles are the stuff of office legend. So to decide the promotion, their boss sends them on one of the company's cruises to the Galapagos Islands and tasks them with using the experience to come up with a proposal to boost sales in the region. Fast proposal wins the promotion. And so uh, she boards the ship and she meets her rival for the first time and oh no, he's actually pretty attractive and maybe not, you know, the scoundrel she thought he was. And uh, as they're having island adventures together, um, there's definitely an attraction growing there. And she discovers that the line between loathing and liking might just be thinner than a postcard. What I love about Henley is that most people, if their boss would tell them, hey, I'm going to put you on a cruise for a week, 
probably would jump at the opportunity. I know I will. I'm a, a total cruise person, but she struggles with it because we shall say her work-life balance is a little out of whack. Mm-hmm. And I also think that more than a few women are going to relate with her and what she goes through in terms of her male colleagues and this pressure to be better than them or think that she needs to be better than them and measure up. Is that something that you've experienced firsthand? So I think it's probably something most women have experienced uh, one time or another. Um, I've definitely, I've like been uh, more fortunate than most in terms of I've uh, generally had very good bosses. Um, but I've definitely been in situations where I, I feel compelled, like, oh, my gosh, I have to prove myself. And in order to do that, I have to work twice as hard just to be recognized, um, even in just sort of micro settings. Of, of course, you women, if we've ever been if you've ever been in uh, like a mixed setting with men and women together, you say something, nobody really hears you. Then the guy next to you says it louder. Everybody laughs or says, oh, that's such a good idea. Um, I think it definitely um, you know, happens all the time in a lot of different settings. Uh, so I wanted to capture that, and hopefully that resonates with a lot of women. I'm totally shaking my head yes as I'm listening to you, and I'm sure <laughs> there is more than one other female listener out there who's doing who was doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd argue that the Galapagos setting is also a character in the book. You've been there. Is it really as wonderful and beautiful as you paint it? Oh my gosh, I would say even better. It's honestly uh, one of my absolute favorite places on earth. I think it is so magical, so unique. Um, And for anybody maybe not familiar with the Galapagos Islands, they're a remote island chain located 600 miles off the coast of Ecuador, so off the western coast of South America in the Pacific Ocean. And because they are so remote, the wildlife there evolved largely free of predators and completely free of people until 1535, so when you go there, the, the wildlife is not afraid of you. You know, you're hiking in this you know, seabird colony, thousands of birds, and a Nazca booby will just, you know, kind of waddle up to your group and look up at you like, hey, you're a funny looking bird. What are you doing here? You know, they don't fly away. So you have chances to have these up close and personal encounters with nature that I have not experienced anywhere else. And I think that just makes it so very special. Each island in the Galapagos is unique. It is a little bit different. Um, yeah, and it's it's so wonderful. Why was it important for you to work in this message of ecological tourism and how important that is to an area like the Galapagos and there are other places around the world just like that into this rom-com debut of yours? The Galapagos Islands, um, and I think this is obviously will be clear for anybody who reads Shift, is a place so very near and dear to my heart. And I personally worked in the realm of conservation and in the travel industry. And, you know, the fact is that the Galapagos Islands and many places like it are facing serious conservation challenges, Um, you know, and as we are all over the world in terms of climate change. And, you know, this is just the world we live in. And I think having the opportunity to shine a light on that um, was just such a special opportunity for me to, to highlight something that maybe not a lot of people know about in terms of what's going on in the Galapagos. And also, the amazing work that's happening there right now to try to address some of these environmental challenges, I think that's very inspiring. If people are inspired after reading your book and really enjoying it to do more, what do you suggest they they do to help? I think any little action uh, can potentially make a big difference if, if enough people take that action. So, I mean, it could be as simple as 
uh, if you wanted to uh, phase out your single-use plastics, you know, that could make a big difference if more people stop using plastic straws, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and on a bigger scale, of course, um, there's a lot of nonprofits doing really, really good work um, in the Galapagos and beyond. There's the Charles Darwin Foundation, the Galapagos Conservancy. And so I would just encourage folks, you know, whatever, whatever that causes, it's near and dear to your heart, you know, find out who is doing good work to support that and see what you can do to get involved. So time for my confession. I totally had a Galapagos trip planned, which I've now had oh. to, I've had to put it off because I wasn't sure with everything happening with COVID and vaccines and would mm-hmm. I be able to travel. And so when I when this book landed in my mailbox, I thought I really, really, really want to go now more than ever <laughs> after oh. reading it. So I've pushed it off till 2022. But I know that you're a big traveler as well. Are you really hoping to be able to get back out there in the world again next year? Oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um, I think being cooped up, you know, in 2020 has been a challenge, um, as have many things about 2020. But, yeah, I mean, there's, I definitely have a very long bucket list. You know, I'd love to get down to Baja, California someday, uh, see the gray whales there. Um, New Zealand's on my bucket list. I don't know if that'll happen next year, but... Yeah, I mean, at this point, I will just be very happy to leave my house. <laughs> and do you plan to write more stories that center around this passion of yours for ecological conservation? Well, yeah, I, I hope so. Um, I definitely have some ideas in the works. Um, my next book coming out from a gallery in 2022 is going to be a little bit different. It's going to take place a little bit closer to home for me. It's set in Ohio. It is another romantic comedy, but I definitely do have some ideas stories down the line that involve that sort of environmental aspect. Excellent. And in the meantime, people can pick up Shift, which if you have been itching to get someplace, it will transport you and also make you extremely jealous, but hopefully inspire you to do more for the environment and do more for yourself and, and learn how to take care of yourself among everything else that's going on in your life. Angie Hockman, thank you yeah. for the time today. All right. Thank you so much for having me. And that's where we close the book on this chapter. Next time around, we find out what animals can teach us about reconnecting with each other. I know I'm looking forward to seeing my fellow humans again this year. Until then, connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at WCBS 880 Books. I'm Lisa Chernkovich.